start We're the first ones to die We're the first ones in line For that pie in the sky And we're always the last When the cream is shared out For the worker is working When the fat cat's about I and all of these things The worker has done From tilling the fields To carrying the gun We've been yoked to the plough Since time first began I always expected to carry the can Hello, and welcome to Struggle in the Suburbs, a leftist podcast that looks at how socialism is defined and experienced in our small cities, towns, and suburbs. I'm your host, Michael Spears. Man, I love that song we just heard. That's Worker's Song by Dick Gahan. To me, it perfectly articulates the history and plight of working people in our world, forced to serve and die, all while the rich profit from it. It's a great example of the class consciousness we need to be building. We need to plead the cause of all those who toil. We need to reestablish the power of working people within political parties, on the streets, and in our workplaces. But how do we do that? And how do we use that power and energy to end capitalism's exploitation of workers and the planet once and for all? That's what this episode is all about workers, and the working class. What we want as socialists is a world underpinned by human solidarity, not by human greed. As socialists, we must build and celebrate workers' power, and we need to focus on a few things in order to do this. We need to build Canada's Workers' Party, the NDP, into a political party that takes bold action and truly represents the interests of the working class. We need to redefine what the term political means and expand people's involvement. And we must organize and increase democracy in our communities and our workplaces. There's much more, of course, but I don't want to spoil the episode for you. It's a good one with a great guest. Real change will only come from below, from the people. What this change looks like and how we accomplish it here in Canada and around the world is what we, as socialists, are determining right now. So to talk about these critical issues and opportunities for the left, I'm pleased to be joined by Jessa McLean, activist, community builder, and small town socialist. Uh, Welcome to Struggle in the Suburbs, Jessa. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm a small town socialist now, but I did grow up in Toronto. So that's a heavy part of my influence. So just right, a, that's right. a side note. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, I'm a small town socialist too. Nothing wrong with that. To be proud, to be proud. Yeah, be proud. So I just wanted to, uh, obviously, I wanted to uh, talk with you about um, some issues around uh, the left, around socialism uh, in, uh, you know, in our uh, communities in our province and country. So um just wanted to kind of set it up first about, you know, we're seeing 
kind of the power of the left increase in the United States. Um, you know, even with with Bernie Sanders uh, not being successful in his bid uh, to be the Democratic nominee, um, you, you'd be, you know, you can't deny the fact that that so- socialism and socialist ideas are kind of started to take root uh, down there. Um, but you know, I'm not sure we're kind of seeing that same experience kind of mirrored in in our country. So I just wanted to start off by just getting your opinion about. Uh, you know, the state of leftist politics uh, in our country today. I think like when we talk about leftist politics, it, there's, it, there's a need to differentiate between what's happening with established partisan politics, um, which seems to be more visible to most, and then what's actually happening at the grassroots level, which is a lot more promising than what we're seeing from our so-called leadership Um you know, I, I think a lot of people who listening will understand the struggles the federal NDP has had really reaching and touching its membership and, and answering to their demands. But uh, on the flip side, there are so many grassroots groups that are doing the real work um, in building class consciousness, in making demands that are true to socialist ideals rather than this placating to the center or even to the right in this, in this strive for votes. Um, there's a lot of work to be done before we can kind of rely on establishment politics. So um, there's some great groups like Courage uh, in Toronto, and I know that they've expanded. And uh, the Workers' Action Centre has been around for years doing that kind of work where they are going to people where they work, where they live and play, and pushing, or that's a bad word, but teaching leftist politics, accessible politics. And um, that's, that's what we're seeing a lot of here in Canada, as opposed to some top-down leadership like we saw from Bernie Sanders. Now, is, um, is there kind of a disconnect in this country, though, between grassroots and um, kind of what people would call just like mainstream political thought? I, I, I just, I, I see in our country, um, you know, put, people put all their hopes in politicians okay. uh, more than like anywhere else. Um, so that they kind of, um, I find like, grassroots movements are, are it's, it's tough for, for them to kind of, kind of take root um, with kind of mainstream uh, population. Um, and so how do you think, you know, these, these movements, uh, can actually kind of build this class consciousness that we need in our communities? Well, I think um, the two groups I mentioned are doing a really good job, but uh, one example I want to use is the Workers' Action Centre, who are responsible for the fight for 15 and fairness, but also Migrant Rights Canada. Um, And what they do is they find the divides that we have. Um, Forget partisanship, but Um, racism causes a a huge divide between the working class you know it's been implemented for that purpose right so that we don't see ourselves as one one mass and so they go after that and migrant rights Canada was specifically designed for that uh, so that we recognize that temporary foreign workers migrant workers are part of the working class a global working class uh, rather than the nationalist garbage that we hear coming you know sometimes from all sides but particularly the right, that that serve to divide us. So if we find these intersects where a lot of people are feeling uh, 
voiceless and empower them and empower the neighbors to see them as part of the larger class. Uh, I think that goes a long way in understanding what the working class really is. Uh, a lot of people still picture it as a, if you're working class, it means you're, you're blue collar, right? But we're, we're in reality talking about everybody under the, under is a bad word, uh, that's not part of the 1%. So the more we can do that on a local level, um, the easier it'll be to build a mass movement that will, you know, either be a political revolution or some advocate for, you know, going the electoral route. And, but we can't do that until we've actually, people understand that they're all part of one cause, you know. And so there's a lot of groups doing good work around that. Um, but more needs to be done because we don't see that really from our party, um, from the working class parties. Now, what about, um, uh, you know, you talked about local. What about in in places where you and I live, uh, you know, the small city, uh, small town um, across the country? How do we do that here? I think it's better done issue based. So my experience is when you start to fly your colors, you know, um, your partisan politics, uh, people get their backs up. People have already kind of been decided. Their their parents voted a certain way, so they'll do the same. But if we go on an issue based, and the minimum wage was a great example where we would go out with petitions or have town halls and invite people on the issue, and we would find a range of voters that all agreed uh, the minimum wage was way too low. Um, many conservative voters even you know doing the call for twenty dollars an hour because that's their life lived experience. Uh, we know populism plays a role in warping how they vote against their best interests. But if you just go issue by issue, you find that uh, the disaffected and the disenfranchised all feel the same way. Uh, everyone wants a healthy healthcare. Uh, the pandemic is showing us just how important a fully funded healthcare system is. Uh, that's, you know, uh, uh, an issue for the left. Uh, people might find themselves in uh, unfortunately in crisis mode when they're unemployed or, or whatnot leaning that way so if we steer clear you know do it on a riding level but without our colors flying i find you'll be able to draw people over and to understand how to vote in their best interest now of, of course uh you know we live in a political world we live in a world in a country where uh, you know, political parties have the power to uh, enact laws that bring about change that we need. Um, so how do we kind of, how do we build a, a strong political party that truly represents the interests of the working class? Yeah, so in my schooling, I understood it that way too. Politicians, you know, make laws and, and change, but we history tells us that that's only done from huge social movements only when it's absolutely demanded. So we're talking about massive strikes, taking to the streets, just huge amounts of pressure. And until we can leverage that pressure properly with, with class consciousness, even our own party um, will fail to, to act. So, I mean, we all, we know that there's a real kind of absence of, uh, true leadership in that department and, and pushing things far left. We kind of uh, harking for the days of Tommy Douglas, right? When we had real radicals, so-called radicals up there speaking from the masses. Now we we have a top-down approach that's just not working. 
So we have to infiltrate the current working class party. Um, I say it sounds so subversive to say that, but in reality, we have a lot of centrists and liberals running a social, which should be a socialist party. And so, I mean, that comes from running socialist candidates. We need to take over the executive at convention because um, petitions and pleading at convention floor is just, it's not working. So there needs to be a concerted effort to radicalize the writings, the writing associations and who they put forth to represent at convention and at the ballot box. Because although Bernie and a figure like him is really effective, what we really need is these voices in every community, right? Because my community, for example, before I ran, I mean, they were not really hearing the word socialism. They were not hearing demands for nationalization up here at all. Uh, And uh, people respond better when it's coming from within their community as opposed to a figurehead. So... I mean, even if we were to turn our party, I think still a lot of the work needs to be done um, at the bottom of this pyramid that we often see when we're talking about power. Do you find it frustrating, um, you know, looking, uh, you know, looking at a party like the NDP um, and it's it continue, it continually gravitates uh, towards the center? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, they see I, I'm not sure if they see, uh, uh, you know, the fact that the liberals have been successful. So they want to just uh, um, uh, try to be uh, a, a different version of the Liberal Party. Um, you know, even though you and I can kind of we can envision and we can see how, you know, adopting truly socialist ideas uh, can be successful at the ballot box. Um, you know, like you said, the establishment doesn't see it that way. Um so how do we how do we stop um, you know our political allies from continually trying to uh, uh, moderate their positions? It's tough. Yeah, uh, I find like on the local level and in my own personal experience, um, even surrounded by fellow socialists, I am discouraged from using terms like working class socialism, talking anti-capitalist rhetoric, and I think that's a mistake. And I rejected it and it people did respond. So I think what partisan politics has wrong with it right now, especially the NDP, is they worry about what's palatable now rather than creating space for what could be possible. So in the States, we see AOC um, and Bernie, you know, coming up with really bold ideas that a lot of people will ro- initially roll their eyes at. We know it's possible, maybe not in the current climate, but we have to stop worrying about buying votes in that way um, by worrying about conservative voters and being too far left for them. Because I think when people hear really refreshing ideas and uh, politicians who speak honestly without compromise, we're seeing the appeal that that has on on a grand scale. So it may be a long haul, but pushing for that space rather than worrying about um, sellability uh, because partisan politics, that's essentially what it's become. Right. Uh, and that's why we see our party behaving a lot like the liberals um, in trying to placate what they think people want um, rather than being a beacon or for what could be possible because we've been sold capitalism and it's so-called limitations for so long 
that it's hard to imagine anything different, especially when we keep moving to the center and the right keeps going further right, especially in the last, uh, I would say, 20 years with the real uh, push of neoliberalism. So every time we move to the center, we're actually moving farther and farther to the right, making Mm -hmm. it harder to ever come back to what we really need. So to just be completely bold um, on all levels, we need it from the top. We need it from our leaders, but we also need to encourage candidates and writing associations to um, go their own in that in that regard and, and truly amplify the demands of their socialist uh, members. Yeah, no, I've uh, I was uh, I experienced uh, kind of the political um, machine uh, a, few, a few years ago. I, I'm a I'm a former liberal. Uh, I'm not ashamed to say that uh, I've, I've seen I've seen the light and was radicalized over a couple of years. But, um, you know, I worked for um, the former minister of labor uh, in Kathleen Wynne's government. Um, and I always point to, um, you know, my experience is that, you know, all the political parties, they campaign differently, but uh, they all they all tend to eventually over a four year term, they all tend to to. Uh, to govern very similar. Um, yes. And I think that's, and that's what, uh, you know, the NDP kind of falls into that trap too. Um, and just kind of going back to what you're saying about the pressure from below, um, the whole issue around the minimum wage going up. So I was right inside when this was all being determined whether or not uh, the government was going to raise it, uh, how quickly, to what level. Um, and the the decision to raise it to, $15 eventually um, was was only done because of the work of groups like Fight for 15 and Fairness uh, and, you know, Workers Action Center. Um, the pressure that they put on the government and the effort that, that they made to convince people that it was the right thing to do just made it so that the government had no choice uh, leading up to an election except to to commit to doing it. Um, it wasn't because they thought uh, they, that it was a good idea. Um, <laughs> now, I'll say, I'll, I'll say that my boss, uh, you know, the Minister of Labor at the time, uh, he did truly believe it, and he fought with the Premier's office over that, so that was great to see. But the Premier's office, they just saw it as, this is popular, this is going to help us win, so let's do it. Yeah. Um, which is sad, but also kind of makes me feel optimistic that uh, that pressure from below does work. Yeah. And that's where the importance comes in of building that class consciousness so that we're all pressuring at the same points um, as opposed to, because I mean, you talk to a lot of folks um, who would traditionally vote conservative and they believe in a, you know, a healthy healthcare system. They believe in a higher minimum wage uh, they have real struggles paying for dental care and prescriptions, but there's a disconnect when it, it's time to go to the polls. And so each party is always looking at their base first, too, right? So that's why when we get conservatives in power, um, all of that hard work gets undone um, because it's an us versus them mentality. But I agree. Yeah. Politicians are only ever going to act 
well, not all of them. There are a lot of exceptions and we need to make more where it's what's right is right and not what's popular. Um, Because we know we've spent a lot of years uh, dumbing people down in terms of politics as well. Um, People don't truly understand uh, cause and effect in terms of legislation. They don't understand how the system works. That's done on purpose. So, you know, there has to be some leadership on that as well. So you're talking a bit uh, about uh, uh, the Workers' Party. So in Canada right now, that's the NDP. Uh, we're both involved uh, in that party. Um, so what's, what's your view on what the NDP is now uh, and what kind of party it should be? I find right now uh, what coming from our party is dominated by the core uh, executives and their strategic planning and their um, worrying about what's palatable, what's sellable, and it doesn't nearly involve um, the grassroots members enough. Uh, we saw our convention canceled, essentially, they say postponed, but I'm not going to, it's been canceled. And although the conventions are frustrating, because I feel like it's constantly uh, grassroots socialist members versus the executive, um, it's really the only place that we have to voice our discontent and to bring up bold ideas. So right now, what it is, is just a mouthpiece for a small group uh, where it should be really reaching into its membership and amplifying what they've been telling them. And I find, uh, you know, we see it on the chat boards. We see it when the EDAs are talking, the writing associations are talking amongst themselves, how frustrating that is. And it's actually disengaging some really crucial activists and members. Um, so we need to get back to that real representation of, of the working class. I mean, one of the examples is we talk, we make demands for nationalization of the telecoms and yet our leadership moves to the center and asks for just fairer billing practices that eventually the telecoms just work around. Right. So it's such a, it's like, these compromises that are constantly made without consultation with the membership or in, at, you know, in contrast to what the membership is demanding and uh, that's not doing anything for, for anybody. Yeah. I'm always, uh, uh, I was, I'm amazed at um, how different the NDP leadership is, um, you know, how different they are from the rank and file members, like the rank and file members uh, that i uh, come to know, um, you know, they they seem like the the people that others kind of associate the NDP as being. Like they're they're, you know, they stand up for workers. They're promoting working class politics, uh, bold ideas. Um, but the actual leadership, yeah, like in the party, um, is it seems like it's almost like they're in a different party. Well, it is. They're you know they're do- the leadership is dominated by. Uh, capitalists and borderline uh, liberals with a big L. Um, Very few socialists seem to make it to the decision-making table. We're hiring people from the investment sectors and (laughs) sometimes from other parties to do their, you know, war room planning. And it really shows um, 
And then that's disaffecting all of those people you're talking about, right? That don't see themselves translated into uh, what's being spoken on the House of Commons floor or our official platform during election periods. And that's really hurting us. Um, I think we do a lot better trying to build a, a class consciousness and, and amplifying those voices than trying to raise more money for shinier ads and, you know, glossier campaigns. Uh, that's just not the, we can't go the same way the liberals and the conservatives play that game. It, it, it won't work for us. So is it um, easier than, you know, obviously people would say, well, just start another party. Um, but uh, it, I, you know, to me, it's easier to transform the NDP than it will be to ever start another, uh, another kind of socialist party. Oh, for sure. Because, I mean, resources play far too big of a role in electoral politics. That's why a lot of people don't see themselves there um, as participating. It's inaccessible. Uh, it's why we struggle every election period because we are being outspent 10 to 1. Um, the system allows for that. There's limits on personal donations, but they're a joke, right? Um, mm -hmm. You can still donate hundreds of thousands of dollars to a party. Um, as an individual so the capitalists still have a stronghold in the other two parties in terms of funding them so if we could remove the influence of resources that would greatly help us but starting a new party I mean we hear it um, in the United States as well with Bernie's failure to combat the DNC and the subversive behavior that they have um trying to prevent a socialist nominee nominee um but it's just yeah starting from scratch is very costly and when you're representing the working class that's your biggest downfall is the ability to raise funds so it needs to be fought on a different front and i think that's why grassroots will play the biggest role um in shaping legislation and helping build a movement to take back the party um, so yeah. should we be should we be focusing on building uh, socialism outside the political sphere? Yes, most definitely. I think both need to be done, right? So when the opportunities arise to um, change the party, that's typically during convention or when picking candidates at a local level, that that definitely needs to be done. But uh, I think we need to start expanding what people consider the political sphere, right? Right now, people think, you know, the MPs and MPPs are our politicians and they will decide everything. We can sign petitions and we can rally around it. But, but really, the political sphere is everything. Everything we do is political. Um, and so we need to create more spaces where people can insert themselves. So whether that be town halls, or small community groups that you create from nothing. Uh, that'll allow people to engage in political speak, right? Things that we're kind of discouraged from talking about at the dinner table or leaving to others to decide. So we can empower people to understand that they truly do have a role to play in this political sphere. That, that's workplaces and community groups. Um, we've, we need to democratize them but also make it safe to politicize them. 
right? Um, which is, can be difficult in the workplace without proper protections. We see people getting fired for trying to start unions or, you know, rabble rousing in their own way. But uh, the Workers Action Centre has a lot of programs that teach workers their rights. And once you become familiar with that, uh, it emboldens you a little bit to then start talking to your coworkers and, um, you know, that's where you're going to start to see this cross-sector solidarity develop because more and more of us will understand the role that we play at home and, and in our workplaces. You kind of touched on it a bit earlier um, about reaching, uh, reaching out to other uh, voting segments. Um, I just wonder what your kind of your thoughts are and what your advice is, you know, for how we reach, uh, you know, quote unquote, conservative voters. Um, obviously, you know, where you and I live and our towns and cities where we live, um, you know, conservatives get in 99% of the time. Um, so, you know, reaching the people that vote for them uh, election after election is key. So uh, how do we kind of reach those voters who, you know, they do share some of the same kind of disaffection um, uh, of many people on the left? Right. So, yeah, that's where I think issue based um, campaigns uh, work best uh, because it doesn't allow people to identify that they're, you know, changing sides, so to speak. But honestly, I think if we look at the number of voters that are not voting at all, uh, potential voters, those are the really disengaged folks. Those are the really those are the people who have just given up because nobody is speaking to them. Nothing they've ever done has really brought positive change to their lives. And those numbers in a lot of writings uh, surpass the conservative voters. Because the danger of trying to appeal to conservative voters, particularly during an election period, it's, which is short and frenzied, is that it sometimes causes you to keep to the center mm -hmm. so that you don't scare them away because it's not used to what they're hearing. But if there's continual issue-based campaigns in between election periods and a real concerted effort to reach the people who at, you know, when you go to their door, you ask them how they're voting. They say they do not vote. Um, most campaign managers and directors will tell you to just simply move on, mark them as a, I don't know, I can't remember, a three or a does not vote and and move on they're a waste of your time but really those are the people that we we have to reach those are the people that you know can't afford to come out on on e-day and who have just given up because they're not represented which which they would be with more socialist policies uh, so i think we've kind of written off you know over 40 percent of the population um by worrying about con and liberal voters swinging to our side and looking at those numbers. I think we should be looking at the other numbers instead. They, they, they hold far more potential because I believe socialist policies would really speak to them if they believed it was possible. Yeah. And I've had that opinion as well. Um, so I, I, I managed the campaign of my local candidate here in Barrie uh, last, last year. And basically, we approached it as a all or nothing kind of campaign that, um, like you said, uh, it was always going to be a long shot. But the only way we ever had a chance of winning was to um, put forward 
or try to put forward some at least some radical kind of radical thinking and philosophies uh, and ideas that could get those kind of first time voters or people that have never voted or don't vote anymore. Uh, because, you know, the tried and true method of of the party over the over the decades has been to try to convince um, liberal voters to come vote for the NDP and maybe grab a couple, you know, conservative voters that kind of uh, are kind of feel upset about what their party's doing. Uh, and that hasn't worked. It's never going to work as far as I'm concerned. Um, like, like you said, like the 40 percent of people that don't vote that's where the NDP either wins or loses. Yeah. And if you speak truth and you, you see it in Bernie, you see it in AOC, we do have a few politicians here in Canada, like Nikki and Sven, um, Sven wasn't successful, but uh, when you wake people up with things that they've never heard before, they're not going to worry about strategic voting. They are going to vote with principle and with their heart. And even better if you really reach them on that that level that some politicians have the ability to do, and I think it's not just the politicians, but some ideas have the ability to do, then they will not just vote for you, but they will campaign for you in the future, not for you, but for these ideas. And so you start to really create a movement rather than trying to sell voters during a, a, a six-week period, and then it becomes this strategy game of you know, am I stopping conservatives? Am I stopping the liberals as to vote as opposed to voting with your heart and your, your consciousness? So um, that's where you're really going to grab people and keep them. And like I said, not just get voters, but workers on on these movements, because it, it takes millions to bring about the kind of change that we need to see. Um, it's not just about winning like I approached my campaign here because like it's such a long shot. Conservatives, like you said, get in all the time as a I'm not trying to win. I'm trying to create space for people who need to hear these things, people who have always wanted to say these things, but have been surrounded by conservative neighbors and maybe um, too many eye rolls at their radical ideas. But when they start to hear it in a more accessible space they become bolder themselves right and then you find your next candidates you find uh you you hear louder voices beside you and that's how it's really going to get one right as opposed to worrying about election by election and what the polls are telling you um i think that's that's crucial that you inspire people to just fight for a cause and not a party now you were mentioning about creating space uh, for people. Uh, obviously, south of the border, uh, Bernie Sanders uh, and AOC have been successful uh, in doing that. Um, you know, I hear a lot of people on social media and people I talk to saying, "You know, where's Canada's Bernie Sanders or where's Canada's uh, AOC?" Um, but do does Canada need a Bernie Sanders or an AOC? Well, I mean, it would obviously help if we had uh, a great orator. I mean, the Greeks used to caution against people. Um, and we've seen with Obama, it's it's helpful when someone can really use their words uh, at a platform and, and reach the masses. But it's not going to help if it, Bernie wasn't successful, right? He is successful in pushing an idea, but not in getting what he wanted done. So I think 
although it helps, what we really need is a Bernie Sanders type person or AOC in every single riding. And I'll tell you, it's, you know, as an, as a community organizer and an activist, uh, something was told to me once that really helped see the bigger picture in every single person that kind of reaches out to people, uh, whether that be candidates, riding presidents, just community organizers, you plant all these seeds, right? And they're more accessible seeds because they're next to you, right? You're not just a, a voice on the television. You're not relying on mainstream media broadcasting your core message. You're really out there reaching them in these various places. And not all of them will grow. When you garden, you know not every seed will sprout. But deep down, you know some of them will. And some of those seeds will then grow into something that can spread their own seeds and it continues and it continues. So if we could, on a more local level, push forward these people willing to do it, it's amazing how many, uh, how, how that turns over more and more and more supporters. Even in my own small riding, uh, people have said or other candidates have felt more comfortable using the socialist label because because we did you know people felt more comfortable talk, speaking to the to against capitalism in a more bold fashion because they heard someone else doing it in, in a debate or online and uh, we see Nikki Ashton is very good at doing that and you know heading the nationalization part of the party it's once you see someone else doing it it really that's that's part of creating that space that I'm talking about where you feel safe and you know you don't have to be the trailblazer because you've seen it done before and you know they survived and um, that's you know that's key and Bernie helps create those people but it, it needs to happen in every community or else it seems like this unreachable uh, place for most uh, what we call regular folks that's amazing stuff, Jessa. Um, I feel inspired now. People like you really inspire me. So I thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you for listening to Struggle in the Suburbs. I hope you were inspired as much as I was. And I hope you reflect on your own place within the working class and commit to furthering its interests. The ruling class is certainly furthering its own interests. No doubt about that. Take care out there, everyone. Support workers, stay safe, share your love, and keep on fighting for a better world.